Well, hey, um, now that the kids have left, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about kids. We've got a special guest here today. Um, this is Robin Wood. Uh, he is one of the, the, the co-founder of Camp Allendale. And um, a lot of us uh, are, are newer here and maybe don't know about the history that our church has with Camp Allendale. Um, and so I just wanted to have an opportunity to talk to Robin and let him share a little bit about what Camp Allendale is and, and all that. So Robin, uh, what is Camp Allendale and uh, how did you get involved with it and all that? Well, Camp Allendale is a place where kids who live in foster homes, kids that have been taken from their families because of neglect and abuse, these kids are allowed to come to camp in the summer and in the winter where we introduce them to Jesus Christ the only thing that is going to change their life. And uh, how's, how's it been with COVID? I mean, well, just so you know, so Robin and Karen started uh, Camp Allendale, what year? 1980. 1980. Uh, and they're interim, ex- interim executive directors right now. <laughs> right. Like remote working from... From Idaho. From Idaho. Uh, while we, <laughs> while things get settled. And so what, what has been, there's been a little bit of upheaval. I mean, and obviously everyone's gone crazy with COVID and whatnot. Sure. Can you just tell us a little bit about Well, the, the summer in, nine, in, in 2020, we weren't able to have children at camp. So we found a way to have programs virtually that the kids could attend. Of course, that wasn't the best thing, but it was all we could do. But this last summer, we were able to have children at camp in person, had a regular summer camp program with some modifications to keep them safe, but also for them to be able to come. It's like most of these kids said that they hadn't been able to do anything actively for a year, so they were excited to be at camp. Yeah. And, and what, uh, what, what, what does camp kind of look like? What, what, what do the kids do and, and that sort of thing? <clears throat> Well, it's a lot what you'd expect most camps to be like. You know, there's everything from archery to hiking to fishing in the creek. They're up near the Santa Ana River is where our camp is, up on Highway 38 on the way to Big Bear. Uh, but it's, it's a normal camp in the sense of all the things that kids do. What's different is there's 24 kids in a group, and there's 12 counselors in a group. So there's one counselor for every two children, which is very different than most camps. And only having 24 children in a group is very different as well, but it is also what makes them feel safe and they're able to hear the word, hear the gospel. Um, and I can personally attest, uh, I was a junior, junior counselor uh, at Camp, uh, Camp Allendale in high school, and um, <laughs> I can tell you, it's Thursday night, right, where the kids just share. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the most amazing thing. Um, these kids mm-hmm. come from the kinds of stories, and, and you just can't even believe it. And they get to a place where they're able to be vulnerable. They're able to be, um, they're able to have their sins forgiven, to begin to forgive um, people who've perpetrated horrors against them. Um, and it's one of the most powerful things you can possibly ever see. Uh, so, Robin, what, what if Coast Bible Church, um, if we, what are some opportunities that we might have to be able to be physically present, to pray, all those types of things? What, what would help? Well, of course, prayer is, is huge because this is a spiritual battle like there's no other for these children's lives. But you can volunteer to become a counselor. You can be involved in praying for the children to take a name. Uh, when the kids are at camp and take a name and pray for a child the whole week that they're at camp. Uh, We also have work days. We have people come to volunteer, help clean up the place, do some painting, chop some firewood, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, So there's, there's opportunities to get involved for sure. 
And uh, so, yeah, and also there's opportunities for high schoolers, too. Yeah, the junior, junior counselor program. Our, right. Our junior counselor program is ages 16 to 20. And we have children who have been past campers involved in that, but we also have young people from different churches all over the county who come as well. And they serve at camp during the summer, uh, not as counselors, but as junior counselors, so they're helping out. But it's great for their faith. Um, and so we're, we're ready to re-up our commitment to Camp Allendale. And so uh, Dave Bacon's taking the lead. Uh, we're going to start with a work day, November 20th. It's a Saturday. I think we only have maybe 15 slots, but we're going to fill them. All right, the people of this church, especially the youth of this church, we're going to get out there and we are going to support this ministry uh, because they, they are on the front lines of a spiritual war that sometimes it's starting to feel like we're losing. Mm. And so we are going to be with prayer, we're going to be with volunteers, and we are going to make Camp Allendale great again. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> uh, let me okay. pray for Robin and then we'll uh, continue in service. Gracious God and Father, thank you uh, for this man and for Karen their vision and their commitment uh, to, to children who have been left behind. God, um, you're the God of orphans. You're the God uh, who doesn't leave kids behind. And thank you for the ministry of Camp, Camp Allendale. Uh, thank you for um, our commitment to Camp Allendale Coast. God, I pray that you'll raise up uh, leaders and, and servants and, and just uh, give us a heart to bless uh, kids. Um, to bring them to faith, to see them healed, um, and to turn them into uh, your servants and no longer slaves in bondage to the enemy. Mm-hmm. We bless you, God. We praise you. We thank you for all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amen. brother. Right. And uh, we're, 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 we're continuing our series uh, today, There Will Be Giants. Uh, and I have to warn you, this is it. This is the last time where we get, where David um, is a good guy. Today we are going to see David at, at the high watermark, the, the place where he, the apex, the, um, the, the, the strongest point of his service to God and his fulfillment of what God wants uh, from his life. After this, it's going to start to get a little bit dark. This is going to be the last giant he slays. After this, giants are going to start slaying him. When I was uh, when I was uh, sixth grade, maybe um, I I uh, I was playing baseball because my dad made me; he wanted me to. And they had this thing where you could try out for like I was at regular whatever baseball team it was, and there was a thing you could try out for majors, where you like a step up. It's like you know extra good baseball. And so I went to the tryout expecting nothing because I wasn't that good at baseball. Um, but I actually had this amazing tryout where I, like, I was connecting with the ball and I was catching things. And so all the coaches were like, wow, this kid's really good. And so I got selected to be a part of the Angels in, in, in majors. And I was really excited. I was like, wow, maybe I'll, maybe I'll finally make my dad proud of me. This is going to be awesome. Um, and, 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 it, and then I didn't. Uh, for, for two years, I, I warmed the bench. I, uh, I just didn't, I didn't have it. You know, and, and not only that, so what, what ended up happening is the, the coach, Coach Skinner, he, he really felt obligated to, like, play me, but he, he didn't like doing it. And so, and, he, and, I, and that was clear, and, and I knew that, and all my teammates knew that, and so I'd play maybe three innings a game. And during those times, uh, especially when I was up to the plate, or any time that a ball came in my direction, everyone on the team would be like, oh, no, this is horrible. 
And my teammates were kind of mean to me because I was dragging the team down. It was really, and so finally I was just, I'd had enough, you know. And so I I go to my dad and my mom and I'm like, guys, I I don't want to do this anymore. This is just, it's not me, you know. And, And I remember them looking at me and saying, you made a commitment to this team. You may not be the best, but you promised that you would do this. And it's going to be hard, but you were going to finish this season. And at the end of this season, then you can quit. But when you say, when you put your, when you sign on the dotted line, when you make a promise, you got to follow through. And that was tough for them because I was crying at the time. And I, you know, I can really pull the heartstrings if I, if I, if I go for it. And, uh, and, and, and it was hard for them. But then I noticed as I was growing up that that kind of mentality isn't really, it's, it's still there. We kind of have a cultural hangover of Christianity where it's like, yes, loyalty and commitment are good. But we also have this, this conflicting thing that says, do what makes you happy. Right? Do what makes you happy. That's kind of the message that we get every day from, you know, our cultural betters. And, and often those two things can, can work together. But occasionally they begin to, to rub against each other. Because on the one hand, I, staying in that baseball team was making me very unhappy. But on the other hand, I'd made a commitment. And so my parents, they, they said, look, we're going to go on the side of commitment and loyalty. We're not going to go on the side of you being happy. Let's read uh, this text together and let's, and let's see. Um, we're going to see uh, that you, you may not believe it, but this, this is actually the moment where David is, is at his best. This is when he finally fulfills the destiny God has for him. David asked, is there anyone from Saul's family still alive that I can show faithful love for Jonathan's sake? If you're just joining us, uh, David, um, he, he was like on the run. Uh, Saul, the king, and his son Jonathan are, well, I think Saul kills himself and Jonathan's killed in combat. Um, but the, the, the reigning king is wiped out and then so David becomes king. And when he, when he becomes king, he finds out that most of Saul's family is all, they've all been slaughtered in, in, in combat. And so he's like, but, but I, I, I want to show some mercy, some commitment. And so uh, there's a servant from Saul's household named Ziba, and he was summoned before David. Are you Ziba? The king asked him. At your service, he answered. The king asked, is there anyone left from Saul's family I could show God's kindness to? Yes, Ziba said to the king, one of Jonathan's sons whose feet are crippled. Well, where is he? The king asked. He's at the house of Amiel's son Mahir at Lodabar, said the king. So King David had him brought from the house of Amiel's son, Machir, at Lodabar. Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. Jonathan was David's best friend, and Saul, Jonathan's father, had been trying to kill David because he was afraid he was going to take over the country. He ended up taking over the country. When Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, came to David, he fell to the ground, bowing low out of respect. Mephibosheth, David asked, David said, yes, he replied, I'm at your service. Don't be afraid, David told him, because I will certainly show you faithful love for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the fields of your your grandfather, Saul. You will eat at my table always. And so it just sounds kind of like, well, David's just being a nice guy, right? So, you know, he finds out that his his best friend's uh, son is still alive after um, his dad died. And and so he just, you know... but that's not actually what's going on. This is actually pretty revolutionary. 
So let's, uh, let's pick the text apart, and I hope you'll see kind of what I'm getting at. Here, um, notice uh, these, two, these two things that David says. He says, I want to show faithful love for Jonathan's sake. Um, if you're following in, your, in the Pew Bible or your text Bible, your phone Bible, whatever it is, um, depending on your translation, you're probably going to see something like mercy instead of faithful love. How can I show mercy for Jonathan's sake? Well, the reason that, that that's going on is there's a, a Hebrew word chesed in the background, which is a little bit difficult to translate. Um, it, it kind of means uh, something like commitment and loyalty, but it also uh, means something like love and mercy. And so if you put those things together, uh, the CEB, this is the Common English Bible Translation, I think does a good job of saying faithful love, love that's, that's committed. And then later, uh, is there anyone from Saul's family I could show God's kindness to? Kindness, there is the same word hesed, only this is the hesed of Elohim, God. So, so, so David's, you can see the translators are trying to figure out how to do this because it can mean kindness, it can mean mercy, it can mean loyalty. And if you're wondering what this sort of a, a attitude, you know, way of being actually looks like in the real world, you need to do a homework assignment. I'm, I'm assigning you guys homework this week uh, where you're going to get to watch the all-time greatest television show that you've never seen before. It's, uh, it's Firefly. Here's a, a picture. You might recognize Nathan Fillion. He uh, is the, the, the lead guy in this show, and, and then he became uh, Castle. So my dad loved Castle, which if you haven't seen Castle, don't. It's stupid. Um, but, but Nathan Fillion does a really good job. He's a very charismatic dude. Um, but it, it, in this show, Firefly, Nathan Fillion plays uh, Captain Mal. Uh, Mal, of course, is uh, the Latin for bad, which is ironic. Um, but he's a, he's a smuggler, um, because all spaceship captains in science fiction are smugglers, Han Solo being one. Uh, so he's a smuggler, and he, uh, he, uh, he has this very odd crew. He's gathered in all these odd people. So his doctor, on his medic on his ship, is on the run from the Empire. He has a sister who's, like, who's, got, who's psychic or something. He's got a mercenary with all kinds of blood on his hands. He has a geisha who actually is applying her trade on the side. Um, he's got an old war buddy uh, that's with him. And he's even got, he's even got a, a, a preacher, like a, a priest. Um, and so there, there's these very odd combinations of characters. And yet, as you watch the show, what becomes very apparent is that the show is interested in, in trying to tell us, to show us the, the quality of captain that Mal is. And the, and the interesting thing about Mal is that if you're a part of his crew, if you're on the Serenity, that's the name of the ship, it's Firefly class, if you're on the Serenity and you're a part of his crew, there's nothing in the verse that is going to come between you and the captain. The captain is going to be for you no matter what. And as the show progresses, we see just how far Mal is willing to go. He's willing to start, he starts out by committing crimes um, that have no real value for his crew because he needs to help one of his crew members. He eventually, um, he gets to a point where he uh, goes out of his way to save crew members that are actually causing him problems. And then near the end of the show, he endures torture. Um, in order to liberate one of his crew members from uh, captivity with some gangsters. My favorite scene in the entire series is at one point, uh, one of uh, the doctor's sister, the psychic girl, has been kidnapped by, um, by some simple folk, and they realize that she um, is psychic, and they decide that she's a witch. And so they say, what, we, we're gonna, what do you do with a witch? Burn her! 
So they set her up at the stake, and then the captain orchestrates this incredible uh, rescue, and he, he's pulling her up from the, the, the flames that are threatening to engulf her. And they're like, what, what are you doing? Why are you saving her? She's a witch. And his response is this, yeah, but she's our witch. It's this extremely poignant moment where you can tell, like, what, what matters most to Mal is that when you're part of the crew, you're his. And his commitment to you is never going to stop. It's never going to quit. It's never going to go away. As long as you're in the crew, nothing in the verse can stop him from being for you. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Um, God's commitment to God's people never, ever stops. And that's what David's playing on. He's saying, he's saying I want to show the same kind of love God has for Israel, for God's people, to, to one of Saul's relatives. I want it to be the same exact type of love, of committed, loyal love. And so what happens? Well, we, we see it. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty ob- obvious. He, you know, he says, uh, I'm going to show you this faithful love. I'm going to show you God's love for us, Jonathan. That strike anyone as a log? Well, yeah. Okay. We, you know, again, we're Americans, so we don't you know, have violent revolutions. But you know, before uh, the Constitution and stuff, what, what happens when... You know, you overthrow a king, or a king gets killed and another guy takes over. What, what does he do? What's he supposed to do? Murder that guy's family. Like, that's what you were supposed to do. That's what they did in the ancient world. Uh, because that guy's family is a threat to you, right? Because not everyone's happy that Saul's dead. Saul had supporters. And when you've got supporters in the ancient world, and they find out that there's somebody alive who's, who's related to the, 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 the dead king, they're going to be rebelling. They wanna, they're going to want to rebel against the, the new regime. They're going to want to put, in this case, Mephibosheth back on the throne. That's why he's afraid, right? Don't be afraid. If we went on in the text, uh, Mephibosheth, uh, he's like, why would, you, why would you do this for a dirty dog like me? Because not only is he, what, he's making him rich, right? He's giving him all of Saul's property. So that means now there's a base of operations for the, let's put Mephibosheth back on the throne team. They can go there and they can start, you know, collecting resources for the, the inevitable revolution. And then David goes a further step of, of, of lunacy, saying, you're going to eat at my table. And we see this throughout Second Samuel, throughout David's term. Every once in a while we remember, oh, there's Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, eating at David's table. If you're looking for a way to get assassinated, this is a really good one. Anytime Mephibosheth decides, you know what, it's, it's king time for me, well, he can just, we know that he's crippled, he has AIDS, he could just get one of the, the assassin aides to help him out, and he could either poison or stab David. Problem solved. So David basically bares his breast and says, if you want to stab me through the heart, feel free. My love for you is so great that I'm willing for that to happen. Now notice, David thinks that that's the same kind of love God has for us. Does that sound a little familiar? Anybody from the New Testament, for example, who comes and exposes himself and says, I am willing to let you murder me because I am determined to love you. 
That's a pretty intense kind of love. And certainly not the sort of love that we are exposed to on The Bachelor. It's a different type of thing. And so if we're wondering, I mean, what, what, is, it, what is it that David's doing? Well, he's, he's, he's basically saying, God loves us like this. I'm going to love you like this. And, and if you're going to think of what kind of love that is, well, it's, it's parental love, right? He's like, you're a part of the divine family, and I'm going to love you like you're my own son. And literally, he's adopting Jonathan. He's putting him at his table. He's making him one of his kids. He's making him rich. He's like, I'm going to make you my son. I have some examples of how to love children. Here, uh, to bring a little education time. Here's some ways that you can love your kids. The fun one is the top left. If you are a decent grandparent, uh, you'd better be taking your kids to Disneyland, your grandkids. And if you're not, you know, then I, you're dead to me. I mean, that's, like, that's not... I'm just kidding. You don't have to take them to Disneyland. If you're a knots kind of person, that's fine. It's all right. But that's one thing we love with kids, right, is giving them gifts. You know, giving them stuff, spoiling them a little bit, loving on them, right? It's one way that we show um, our love. For, and that's the fun one. The, but the, the reality of day-to-day life is that all the rest of this stuff is what we actually have to do. And it's no fun. Top right there, sometimes you've got to take that kid's phone away. <sighs> Evie! How many times? How many times have you lost your phone? I can't remember because there's so many. It's because you've got good parents. And, uh, you know, I know we've got spankers in this, uh, um, in this church, and we've got non-spankers. Um, uh, spankers, also known as child abusers by the CPS, child protective. So obviously I would never do that because um, I'm not a criminal. Um, but my, my, my grandmother used to spank my mom, and my mom used to spank, spank me. And they always said the same thing. My grandmother said this to my mom. She said, she said, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. And my mom was like, no, it's not. This is awful. And then so when my mom would spank me, she would say, Tom, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. And I was like, no, <laughs> you're completely wrong. And, uh, and hypothetically speaking, if I were to have ever spanked one of my children, um, that's when I got it. You know, I, this hasn't happened, of course, but we're being recorded, at, you know, so FBI. <laughs> um, so if I, if I had ever, then that's the moment where I would have realized what they meant, because no one likes to discipline. You don't want to discipline your kids. You don't want to see them hurt, mad, upset. The studies, by the way, I think they say that no spanking is more effective. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to weigh in on that. All I'm just saying is that discipline is a really unfortunate thing. But discipline is an expression of your faithful love, right? Bottom left there, super, super controversial. Uh, I was raised as a free-range child. Uh, when, when, I, when, I, when, I got home from, uh, when I got home from school, if my homework was done, my parents were like, go! And then I would be expected to disappear until the, uh, the sun went down, at which point I was expected to reappear uh, for dinner. And um, it's a really, it's just... It's a dangerous way to parent children. I remember Scott and I once, uh, were, we, we got on this really rickety skateboard, and we were sitting on it, went down this huge hill. And uh, I'm sure it probably wasn't that bad, but in my memory, I, I, I almost died just from blood loss. 
uh, just like, just gashes everywhere, like bleeding. And so I go home, you know, and, and my mom is like, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, this is a terrible thing. This should never have happened to you. My dad's like, yeah, this should never have happened to you. And so the next day when I, when I got home, finished my homework, they're like, all right, get out of here. We don't want to see you till, you know, until the sun's down. That's controversial. People don't parent that way anymore. That's fine. Um, but there is an element to which we have to at some point let go of our kids, let them take risks, right? Um, you, you can't avoid that. You can push it off as long as you want. And I, actually, there's some people who say that's detrimental if you protect kids too much. Um, that they actually need to go out and have these experiences. It's good for their development. Um, but it's hard for us, right? It's scary to let kids do their, make their own decisions. But that's part of faithful love, right? We wouldn't be loving our kids if we bubbled them up all the time. That's it, you know, Dan and Kristen, man, with Justin, that kid's a real piece of work. And uh, when he, man, he, um, he graduated from high school, and, he, and they were like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And he's like, well, surfing's cool. Um, you know, staying on the beach all day, doing nothing. That's tough for parents, man. They're like, they're trying to get the kid to launch, and he's like, I don't want to. But uh, success, though, Justin is now in school in San Diego, and he's making it, he, the, he, he's launched, he's flying, he's spreading his wings, um, he's turned it around. But that's faithful love, right? That's not what, Justin didn't want to hear, you got to get a job. Justin didn't want to hear, you can't just stay here doing nothing, right? That's tough. You've got to go, you've got to risk, you've got to, bottom right, it's chores. You've got to, you know, I, I tell my kids, you know, Saturdays were awful after Ninja Turtles was done. My dad made me uh, dust the entire house, uh, vacuum, do the toilets, rake the backyard, clean up all the poop from the rabbits. Gross animals do not ever own a rabbit. Um, they're for, for eating and that's it. Uh, and then I had to wash two cars all by myself, you know. And my dad would just sit there with like a lemonade, no, Diet Coke, just sipping it, laughing at me. Like, ha, ha. He's like, I'm teaching you discipline. And I'm like, guess what? It's not working. And as soon as I'm done with, I'm out of this house, I'm never doing any of that stuff again. So I live in a pigsty. Um, <clears throat> but it's very important. It's faithful love to show kids you have to, like, you have to, like, be trained up. You don't automatically know all the stuff that you're supposed to do to be a successful human being. And, and I would be shirking my duty if I didn't, you know, force you to do this stuff. And, and it's awful because ch- no child is like, yes, I can't wait to fold the clothes. I've tried this many times and never once have my kids ever said, I can't wait to f- do the folding of the laundry. David assumes this is how God operates. This is what commitment and loyal love looks like. It's like a good parent raising a child. And then he says, Mephibosheth, you're going to be my boy. And so I'm going to raise you the way God raises all of us. And it looks like this. That's the next thing in your note sheets. There's all sorts of different ways that loyal love or commitment uh, forms that it takes. Discipline, allowing hurt, giving gifts, training up. Just a few of the ways that we're called to, to love loyally. Now you're like, um... Okay, but really, the, this is the high watermark of day. Do you remember Tom? Just a couple of weeks ago, he was like murdering a giant. Is this really the moment where he becomes everything God has had has called him to be? 
I say yes. And here's why. Just, just a few verses before this story, we get this um, from, in 2 Samuel 8. It's a fascinating text. David ruled over all Israel and maintained justice and righteousness for all his people. Now that sounds very cool. Uh, the, the, it's, a, it's actually a phrase in Hebrew, mishpat and sedekah. Sedaka or sedekah? Sedekah? Sedekah. Mishpat, sedekah. Um, and in most translations, we get something like justice or righteousness. But uh, the words actually, um, it's not that clean cut. Like a mishpat is really kind of more like um, the authority to decide or make judgment. Um, kind of like, you know, or, or it can even be a judgment. It can be the decision in a, in, a, in a court case. So it's not like enforcing the law, which is what kind of how we hear justice. And similarly, um, Sedekah is more like um, loyalty to a community. It's more like being committed to a group or a tribe. Okay, uh, it's not. It's it's more like doing right by somebody rather than when we hear righteousness, it, it tends to sound like you know absolutely no sin or no badness in us. But it really kind of means more like doing right by a tribe or a group. And if you put those two concepts together, right, the authority to make decisions, judgment, and 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 com- uh, loyalty, doing right by a community, um, it sounds a lot more like um, doing right by your people. This is very important because David is uh, one of the only kings of Israel who ever is, we're told, ever does this. Actually does, you know, doing right by his people, justice and righteousness. In fact, as you go farther in the Old Testament, you see more and more bad kings. Uh, the prophets call them out time and again because they're not doing right by their people. And so they call out, this is uh, Jeremiah, just an example, but it's all over. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, um, you can find it all over. The, this, this very this simple type of, of command. Yahweh, the Lord, proclaims, do what's just and right. Take care of your people. Do right by your people. And if you are doing right by your people, guess what it's going to look like? You will be rescuing the oppressed from the power of the oppressor. You won't be exploiting refugees or orphans or widows. You won't spill the blood of innocent people in this place. That's what doing justice and righteousness, that's what doing right by your people is. Interesting. Let's take, let's take a look at Mephibosheth again. Let's just look at him one more time. What does it say about him? Is that slide, slide not available? What? Okay, go to the uh, first slide. That'll work. This is my bad. I screwed that up. All right. Okay, look at the bit about um, when Ziba is talking about um, Mephibosheth. What does it say? It says, uh, he's one of Jonathan's sons. Jonathan's dead. Mephibosheth is an orphan. His feet are crippled. What that means is that he's never raised a sword against David or David's people. He's innocent. And yet, the culture calls for him to be killed. Well, where is he? The king asks. Uh, Amiel, son of Machir. Oh, Lodabar. Uh, This is probably modern-day Debir. In Israel, which is uh, Lodabar means uh, no no pasture. It's a it's a it's a town in the top of the southern mountains of Israel. It's kind of buried deep in there. It's the place where uh, people on the run go to hide, to stay stay to uh, stay safe. 
you know, refugees. Literally, aside from the bit about widows, everything that the prophets call out, the kings of Israel, the leaders of Israel, the the religious uh, powers uh, failing to do, they're all concentrated in this one guy, Mephibosheth. And so when David shows mercy and committed loyal love to Mephibosheth, he's, he's symbolically, it's describing the way he's treating everyone in Israel, all of his people. Whether they like him or they don't, whether they're on his side or they're not, wherever they are, they are being treated like he's doing right by them. This is the moment when God's vision for Israel is finally fulfilled. That Israel is going to be the kind of place where people do right by each other. And they're going to have a leader who's going to to be the example of that, to live that out. And if he can just just stay with it, then Israel will be a light to the nations, and all will come and worship their God. Last couple of years have been uh, pretty rough, um, obviously. And, um, I, you know, I've been, I've been with you uh, through it. I mean, we've, I've spoken with so many of you over the last couple of years. One of the things that's really impressed me um, we've got uh, several business owners here in the church, some of whom uh, got their businesses wiped out by COVID, some of whom got kind of wiped out by COVID, and others who actually thrived and did really well because their industry just happened to be the right kind of industry for COVID. But um, one thing I've noticed is that whenever I'm talking to you, dudes, usually, I've seen this incredible desire not to make a million, not to, but, but, to make sure my people get paid. So some of you um, have had to, you know, let people go temporarily. Some of you ha- have gotten those PP, uh, PPE loans, whatever. Um, and some of you have been able to just, you know, even increase your workforces. But there's a sense in which the, the duty of a person of, 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 in, with influence is to do right by your people. I remember uh, when we were concerned that, you know, uh, COVID was going to destroy the church, uh, that giving would, uh, you know, completely disappear and, when, um, and, and people would never show up again. I remember the elders sitting down and saying, one thing we can't let happen is let our staff go without paychecks. And we, there were some really generous uh, donations that, that made said, look, if the worst comes to it, we're going to take care of our people. And that's not it, though. It's not, that's not the only thing that impressed me. That, that's pretty, that's cool. That's rad. And I, I mean, I certainly definitely want to be a part of a community that is uh, populated by people who want to do right by people in that way, provide, you know, be generous. But, but notice, you know, doing right by your people isn't always fun and gooey. It's not always, oh, we're going to make sure you get paid. Sometimes... 
It requires a little bit of, hey, Justin, get out of the house. I've been very impressed um, by the people in this congregation who uh, not only do the warm fuzzies, but also are willing to say, hey, wait a minute. We need to be doing X, Y, or Z. I mean, I, I think especially of Rachel right now. Uh, Rachel is just spearheading a ton of prayer opportunities because, like, if, you're, if we're not a church of prayer, then what are we doing here? And calling it out and saying, let's shape up. You can join uh, Rachel and Leah on Tuesday nights here at 7 p.m. Uh, for a time of sharing prayer. You can come to the men's uh, prayer breakfast 8 a.m. on Thursdays. Um, you can join second and fourth uh, Sundays over there to pray for the youth. We have to be a people of prayer. And that needs to be called out. We have to be trained up in that. And it's not fun. It's not fun to be the guy who's like, you're doing it wrong. Or if it is fun when you, and for you, then you're horrible. Uh, no, it's not. It's, it, that's tough. It's tough being able to say, you know what? What's going to require it's a little bit of discipline, a little bit of... I've been so impressed by the people of this church doing that. Can you imagine? And, the re- and of course, the reason that impresses me is that that's God's loyal love. That's God's committed love. It's not, I'm not going to quit on you, but that doesn't mean I'm always going to be nice to you. Again, you have to watch Firefly. There's a bit where uh, one of the, the crew, like, rebels. And so the captain, like, literally threatens his life. He's like, I'm going to blow you out of the airlock. You know, like an aliens. And he's like, and, and, the, and the dude's like freaking out. And that's what the captain has to do to get him in line. That's not fun. No one enjoyed that. But boy, did it help. Can you imagine? Just imagine what this country would be like if the people in power started doing right by the people without power. Think about that. You know, you're up there, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, whatever you are, and you're looking down, and you're, you know, from the heights of Washington, D.C., and you're looking at the poor plebes as we're, you know, trying to go along with whatever the next mandate is, you know. And, 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 and instead of being like, boy, I'm enjoying crushing them, you were like, what could I do to do right by them? Or what about, you know, our state, the state of California? What if the people in charge of the state of California said, you know what? I don't care if you're for me or against me. I want to do right by you. I want to see what I can do to make sure that the oppressed aren't oppressed. You know, that the, the people who are vulnerable, the orphans and the widows, that they won't be vulnerable anymore. It, 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 instead instead of, of just going along with whatever the... the newest thing that people think is instead of doing that, it says, like, look at real people's lives and begin trying to do right by them. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm doing it. Parker. Parker, I forgive you. Parker, you should have come to youth group on Thursday. I shared about anxiety, which I love. And I would love to talk to you about that because I imagine you're feeling it right now. (laughs) That's cool. Just duck. That's fine. I know you're there. Imagine if your work, your colleagues, your employer, your employees, if everyone was like, I'm just going to do right by you. 
It's not that complicated. I'm going to do right by you. Sometimes I'm going to have to smack you around, do a better job. Other times I'm going to be like helping you out. But whatever it is, I'm going to do right by you. I'm going to see you become who you're called to be. And imagine in your family what that would look like. Imagine what this place would be like if every family was looking at what's going, what's going on and take an honest look. You know, par- uh, parents looking at how you're, you're raising up your kids. Kids look at how you're honoring or not honoring uh, your parents. You know, and we, and, we, and we said, what could it be like? What would it be like if we just did right by each other? Do right by your people. Do right by your people. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, um, we thank you for the lesson uh, of David. We thank you for... Uh, the first part of his career where he shows us what it looks like to just slay giants left, left and right. And God, I pray that we will be a church of loyally loving, loyally committed people who act the way you've acted towards us. You've reached out to us in Christ and you've grabbed us and you said, I'm committed to you. I'm not quitting on you. I pray that we'll, just like David, we'll see that love, that chesed love and, 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 and distribute that to everyone in our lives. Wherever we have influence, God, make us people who are committed and loyally loving. God, make this be a place that shines like the stars in the sky. Because we live the way you've asked us to live and do right by each other. Do right by the people outside, inside, wherever they are. God, let us be like David on his best day and let us do right by our people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.